call me sentimental, but to me, the most joyful moment in sports is the soccer goal. And when that goal happens at the World Cup, well, it's pretty good. I'm Brian Phillips. With the 2022 Men's World Cup approaching, I'm making a podcast called 22 Goals on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's about 22 of the most fire emoji goals in the history of the tournament. We're going to have so much fun. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome into the Ringer Gambling Show. Austin Gale here with Raheem, the dream of Palmer. We're here every Thursday going over the Thursday night game. And then to close, Raheem exits. Roger comes in. We look at college football slate, talks some games, tops and picks there. Make sure you're tuning in to the Ringer Gambling feed, by the way. Stefan works his ass off. Producer Stefan works his ass off trying to get this feed rolling. Sunday, we got top five bets with Raheem Palmer. Monday, a Monday night football preview with JJ and Raheem as well. Raheem's the freaking guy. He's on every single uh, episode on this feed. Tuesday, East Coast Bias. That's with JJ House and Raheem as well. And then on Friday, after this show, Warren Sharp and House close out the slate as you know lines become more efficient and those injury reports come in. Today, it's Thursday night football. And I think it's a good game. We were talking a little bit before we start recording. And you're like, I don't know. It's going to be a little on the lopsided. We'll see. Right now, Dolphins go to Cincinnati plus three and a half on FanDuel right now. And you can get that at minus 102. So there's some juice on the Bengals at minus three and a half. Um, that's minus 120 on FanDuel right now. Total set at 46 and a half. I'll tell you what, FanDuel right now does not even have passing props listed for Tua Tungvaluwa over fear that he might not play. You saw today that the Cincinnati or the Miami Dolphins are flying to Cincinnati now, today, to avoid the hurricane that's coming down into Florida. So they're already on a short week. After, you know, and, and then now you have to fly a little bit earlier. The preparation is going to be difficult. There, two is hurt. Jalen Waddles hurt. A lot of reason to be worried about just the amount of preparation Tua and this Dolphins team is going to have going against a Cincinnati Bengals team that is one and two, but does have an offensive firepower that can go toe to toe. Yeah, I mean, look, when you look at this spot for the Miami Dolphins, it's a really, really, really rough spot. Obviously, they come off a game against the, the Buffalo Bills in which, you know, they were outgained by almost 250 yards and their defense was on the field for 90 plays. I mean, 90 plays in the sweltering heat. So and now you got to turn around and 
you know, you got to go on the road. And historically, when you look at these Thursday night games, when you have the short prep and you're going on the road, it's already a bad spot. But when you're coming off of a game against a division rival where you're on the, on the field for 90 plays, I mean, this is just a, a really, really rough spot. And then obviously, Tua has some injuries. Um, he has a back injury, has an ankle injury. So we don't even know if he's going to play yet. So that's why we've seen some sharp money hit the Bengals at minus two, minus three. We're all the way up to minus four right now. So what's your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I, I, I'm as we see more money backing the Bengals, like you said, going from minus two. Fandle has a minus three and a half, but there, it's minus four in some spots. And that three and a half, even that minus 120, more money on that. And it could stretch out to four on Fandle. It, it really does speak to just how little preparation this team is going to have and how hurt this team is. You know, Jalen Waddle's battling injury list is questionable right now. Obviously, two are talking about low came back in that game. But if it is indeed a back injury, that's going to be lingering, right? Back injuries tend, you know, tend to stick around. I worry about that as well. If this Dolphins team is healthy, this plus three and a half mark looks good. But I don't think they are. And I don't think even if Tua plays, even if Jalen Waddle plays, this defense, like you said, was on the football field for 90 plays in the sweltering heat last week. Four days later, they got to, no, three days later, they got to get on a plane. Four days later, they got to play this Bengals team that does have offensive firepower. There's a lot of reason why sharp money is on the Dolphins. I want to give a reason that no one's talking about. Not the injuries, not the short week. I think this Bengals defense is good. Like this Bengals defense is, is, is showing up this year. Sixth in pressure rate so far this season, sixth in defensive EPA per play allowed. Trey Hendrickson looked absolutely unblockable against the Jets in Week 3, the Bengals' first win on the season. And Chidobe Awuzie, their outside corner, gives them the luxury to play man coverage because he is fantastic at the line. He has been a standout cornerback so far this year. He's allowed just 11 receptions for 102 yards through three games, no touchdowns, and four passes defense. This Bengals defense has stars. Offensively, it's taken time for them to figure it out. The offensive line is obviously very new. Joe Burrow is reacting to that. But I do think that they have enough offensively to you know outmatch this Bengal, you know, this Dolphins defense. And defensively, I think the Bengals have an edge well, especially if Tua Waddle and these guys are hurt. Oh, yeah. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, like you said, you mentioned the pressure rate. But I, I think when you look on the other side of the ball, I think the Dolphins can kind of slow down this Bengals offense. I mean, look, I mean, when you look at the Bengals offense, to me, look, they, they still struggle on the offensive line. And, you know, pro football po- focus put out their – offensive line grades. They have them 27th, and they're going against a, a Dolphins defense, which I know they were on the field for a long time, but this Dolphins defense is still, you know, third in ESPN's pass rush rim rate. So I just, I honestly, I feel like this is a, a lower scoring game, and I think there's a reason why we've seen this total drop down from 48 to 47 because, look, and to me, when you look at what the Bengals have done this year, Outside of their game against the Jets, they haven't proven that they could really, you know, score efficiently. So, I mean, I know that they played T.J. Watt and he played Michael Parsons, which were two of the, you know, best defensive players in the league. But, I mean, this Dolphins D-line isn't, you know, it's not the Jets. So, I, I don't know if we're going to see a high-scoring game here. Yeah, I think the, the the sharp money being on the under there as well. Vandal, I think, still has it at 47. If not, it's down to 46 and a half. So it's probably, there's rightfully sharp money on that. So, again, a lot of that backing is Tua Hurt. It's Tua Hurt. It's Jalen Waddle Hurt. These injuries are going to be so important as we bet this Thursday night game. I think if I had to identify the value in the line, I would say it's still, it still is at Bengals minus three and a half, even though it's two out to minus 120. I do think they're going to win this football game. The hook is unfortunate, right? You wish you got this game at minus two. You, you wish you got this game at minus two and a half. I think the Bengals are the right side, but maybe there isn't clearing value now that it's stretched all the way up to three and a half 
minus 120. As for the total, I still think there might be value on the total because we didn't even bring up you know, the Dolphins defense. That I think when you look at that Buffalo Bills game last week, stick, mm-hmm. you know, the Josh, Josh Boyer did not go away from his stripes, right? He's going to blitz, he's going to send extra guys, and he's going to um, you know, really try and play man coverage. Then the second half, you saw them dropping a lot of guys back. They're dropping guys off, not blitzing as much. And I think that's when the Buffalo Bills often started slow. If he's willing to be multiple like that, I think that he can limit and force the Bengals' offense to be efficient rather than explosive. If the blitzing and all those things aren't working and the Bengals' offensive line is progressing and Joe Burrow's handling that, last week he had three touchdowns under pressure. You know, if he, with Burrow is showing that capability, showing that magic under collapsing pockets, that's when the Bengals are really, really dangerous. If they aren't hitting home with those blitzes early on, I trust Boyer to be multiple and try and slow this offense down and force them to be efficient, force them to you know cross the river a thousand times before they get to the end of this. I think that's going to be uh, another piece of it as well. Any any reaction to w- where this line is? And am I right to say three and a half is is probably the right side, but maybe it's too it's too bad. It's too not good enough value. Well, I'll, I'll say this. You know, FanDuel has three and a half minus 114. That's a lot different from three and a half minus 110. Um, you know, most of the market is at minus four. To me, I'm not seeing a ton of value on the Bengals here. Um, you know, when I look at the look-ahead number, the look-ahead number was Bengals minus two. Now you're all the way up to four. Now, I know this is a bad spot for the Dolphins, but is this bad spot for the Dolphins is that worth the two points? Is that worth laying over a field goal? And I'm not sure if that's the case. So to me, I would kind of rather play the under. I think there's more value on that. When you look at the, the Dolphins, they've gone under in all but one game. When you look at the, the Bengals, they've gone under in, in all three games throughout the season. And a big part of that is their offensive line. So if two is banged up and he's not 100%, I, I just don't see this this total reaching 47. So, I, I mean, obviously you have to wait on the Tua news to see, you know, what's going on with that. But I really don't want to play the Bengals at minus four. It, it's just a, it's just a rough number. I mean, unfortunately, we're recording this episode on Wednesday, and a lot of the movement has already taken place. So I just think a lot of the value is gone. Yeah, and I think it's only going to get. Mm. I think it's only going to dissipate further as soon as like there's more confirmation around the Tua injury and the Jalen Wilder injury, and the obviously the betting lines react to that. In terms of looking at Props or you know in you know in game best first half totals and all that stuff. I think there could be some value at the, on the first half total being under for the same reasons that you said twenty three and a half. I think you get that minus one ten on Fanduel right now if you want to take the under in the first half. For props, none of the Dolphin props are up. Like Fanduel is not going to be, you know Fanduel is not going to be putting up props until there's confirmation around Jalen Waddle's injury, confirmation around you know Tua Tagovailoa's injury. If you are looking at Bengals, highest prop among receivers. Is Jamar Chase at 74 and a half, then T. Higgins at 62 and a half. I worry about T. Higgins coming back from injury. I think more, more, more targets could be focused to Jamar Chase. And Jamar Chase, of any receiver in the NFL, really thrives against man coverage. And I, I think he can have a lot of success if Boyer wants to run a lot of man coverage. I don't know if there's value on the over at 74 and a half, but I'm looking at receiving totals and, and I'm thinking that Chase, Boyd, Boyd sitting at 40 and a half, I think there might be some value there just because they, they match up well against man heavy defense. That's it, man. One thing I want to add is cornerback Xavier Howard. He was, you know, limited in, in, in practice this week with a groin injury. So if he's going to be on Jamar Chase, you know, I think that that says a lot about, you know, your, your prop and it, it having a good chance of going over. Yeah, I think I think I looked at the Dolphins injury report today. I think everyone's hurt. Everyone's battling some little yeah. tweet from that game that <laughs> absolutely devastating that game in, in in South Beach. Raheem, this is always fantastic. Can't wait for next week. Every Thursday, me and Raheem are going to be going over the Thursday night games on the Ringer Gambling feed. Let's bring in Roger Sherman.
Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Start the NFL week off right with a no-sweat same-game parlay. Every Thursday from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. It doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or already have an account. Every Thursday night, you'll get free bets back if your NFL same-game parlay doesn't hit. Same-game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. This week, Cincinnati Bengals at home against Miami Dolphins. They're favored by three and a half. Here are my legs. I like Bengals money line. I like the under, 46 and a half. Miami coming off an emotional win where their defense was on the field for 90 plays. Tua is banged up. Jalen Waddle's banged up. Xavier Howard's banged up. I like the Bengals to win this game, and I like the under. I think both teams, I, I think Miami specifically, especially if Tua is out, is going to struggle offensively. And then for Cincinnati, I think it's going to have a tough time against that Josh Boyer defense that limited Josh Allen specifically in the second half of that last game. And then the last leg, Jamar Chase, anytime touchdown score, Xavier Howard, could miss this game with an injury. Regardless, he's battling one. They run a lot of man coverage. Jamar Chase, an excellent receiver against man coverage. Those are my legs. Build your own or choose from one of the popular SGPs that we have, including the one I just you know said out there, pre-built for you and FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. However you want to play, you can bet the NFL every Thursday night with a no-sweat, same-game parlay. Just sign up with the promo code GAMBLERS if you don't already have an account. That's promo code GAMBLERS, G-A-M-B-L-E-R-S, to get free bets back if your SGP doesn't hit. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older in select states, three-plus legs, minimum $1 bet required, refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max free bet, five bucks. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fandle.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-878-9777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 in New York, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. We are back. Roger Sherman joins the show to talk a little college football. Just got done talking Miami Dolphins and Bengals. It's time to get the college football slate. Games we want to go over. Number seven, Kentucky at number 14, Ole Miss. Ole Miss favored by six and a half, total at 53 and a half, which is super low for an Ole Miss game. We'll get into that. And then number nine, Oklahoma State taking on number 16, Baylor in Baylor. Baylor right now, a one and a half point home favorite total set at 56 and a half. A repeat of last year's Big 12 championship. Let's go to Kentucky at Ole Miss. Kickoff at 12 in Oxford. Juice is on the Rebels, man. Right now, you can bet UK plus six and a half at even money on FanDuel. That's plus 100. If you are backing UK, you have good reason to do so at that price. Why do you think that's the line? Why do you think you have Ole Miss here, who's 14th uh, in the AP poll, or Kentucky is 7th, a six and a half point favorite at home? Yeah, if you just look at the uh, the rankings, the, the AP and the coaches poll, you're thinking Kentucky, top 10 team, much better here, but I was looking at a breakdown. There's a composite of advanced rankings that Nate Manzo, CFB Nate, puts out every week. It's got SP+, FPI, FEI, all that stuff. And that has, if you combine all of them, it has Ole Miss ranked number eight in the country and Kentucky not in the top 25. The analytics don't feel that great about Kentucky. A lot of, a lot of those ratings don't, don't have them 
uh, in a position to be ranked, and they're going to be on the road at Ole Miss. I, I think we got this nice, we gave Kentucky a little boost when they beat Florida, and they looked good at that game, but we're not as high as Florida as we were back then. I think their offensive line is really an issue there. 123rd in EPA per rush. That's out of 131. Anytime you get over 100, it's it's not good. Yeah. And they're 127th in sacks allowed. Um, so that's a real, real point of weakness. It's hard to feel good about a team that's getting stuffed every time they run the ball, getting sacked every time they throw the ball. And they do get their running back, Chris Rodriguez, back from a suspension. So I, I think they're hoping that that's good. But I think with what the problem is the offensive line, it, it doesn't matter if you've got a great running back coming yeah. back. Yeah, C-Rod is a monster. He's returning um, here. He's a big pounding back, but I think the offensive line is a bigger concern. I saw multiple people saying, oh man, they're going to commit back to the run and they're going to really try and bring him back into this offense. They rank 121st among those 131 FBS teams in yards per carry before first contact. So the offensive line is not creating any push. I don't care if it's C-Rod back there or another back. Like They are struggling to get push up front for the same reasons that they're allowing a lot of sacks. The offensive line is underperforming. Will Levis, C-Rod coming back. Like There are some star, ta- star players here that you know absolve a lot of these sins, but I think the offensive line is going to be a really, really primary concern. For Ole Miss, they are effective you know, running the football, and, and it's put really, Jackson Dart. In- really, really good <laughs> running the ball. And, and it's put Jackson Dart and his offense in a lot of situations where they can convert on third down, right? I think they have had success on early downs. They rank top 20 in um, you know yards before first contact per attempt. That same, same stat I was you know, tracking for Kentucky. They rank inside the top 20, and they rank top 30 in yards per play on early downs. They're getting two third downs in manageable situations, which is allowing this offense to kind of move, the, you know, move downfield. Defensively is where I want to shift as well. Both these defenses are good. Ole Miss ranks 13th in run play percentage, or, or uh, top 20 in EPA per play, and so does Kentucky. I, I think the defenses are, are, are both stand out, but I think offensively you have to give the edge to Jackson Dart and this Ole Miss offense. I mean, like, like we, the number everyone looks at is the fact that Kentucky is ranked in the top 10, but we just produced three statistics in which they are bottom 10 in the country. <laughs> At offensive line, which in college football can really make or break it. Well, at, at any level, if you just talked about the Bengals, huh? Yeah. <laughs> at any <laughs> level of football, offensive line can really make or break your team. And, you know, I I, I want to be excited about Kentucky because they're... Because how, how often do you get a chance to be excited about Kentucky? There's been a couple True. of teams like that this year where, where it's, I, I want to have fun with them. But when, when you're... When you're just struggling with the most critical part of football right there, the, the ability to to keep your running back and your quarterback from getting touched. That's just such such an issue. The one thing uh, the one thing to worry about is uh, Lane Kiffin says that Ole Miss is not a good home environment. He said this at a press conference this week. He that's says right. <laughs> it looks like a high school game. Uh, people are too busy drinking out in the Grove instead of coming in to watch the games. So, you know, I, I think that's just his way of saying, you know, get drunk slightly earlier for this 12 o'clock game, get in and, and mm-hmm. have a have a great home environment. I, I have Ole Miss minus six and a half. That needs to that needs to come with action, in my opinion. If Lane Kevin's gonna be like, "Hey, you guys are too busy drinking in the Grove. Make the beers, make the beers in the stadium half price." I don't even know if they sell beers at Ole Miss Stadium. I know a lot of co- I know a lot of college stadiums don't sell beers, but if they do, half price. And if they don't, you better start. 
Yeah, you know, you know what? Colleges have good atmospheres in stadium. Ones that sell beers. Gotta light them up. All right, I, my my lean here is the under. I, I don't <laughs> like the line. I don't like. <laughs> I don't like the line a ton. I, at six and a half, I I think. I'd be leaning Kentucky because you're getting it plus 100. But honestly, I kind of would stay away from this line. I like the under, though. I think Chris Rodriguez coming back is going to have this Kentucky team looking to recommit to running the football, setting up play action, and, and running more on early downs than they have. And whereas Ole Miss runs a lot on early downs already. Thir- you know, They rank top 13 in run play percentage on early downs in the first three quarters of games. They like to get started on the ground on early downs, and especially early in games. I think that's going to lead to this game playing under. I think it's going to be slow, control the football, time of possession stuff. I like the under 53 and a half, and I'm probably staying away from the line. Clock is going to be moving, you think? I think clock's moving. Where are you at, Raj? You got to got to lean I, on this I, game. I, I, I said, I said, I said, Ole Miss minus six and a half. I, I All right, said you're it. riding with the Rebels. You're riding with the Rebels. Oklahoma State at Baylor. Like I said before, rematch of last year's Big Twelve Championship. That's the what? same one we're speaking. a great game. <laughs> uh, that like I, I will get very excited if I get to talk about the Big Twelve Championship game in a few minutes. I'm really excited. <laughs> you you absolutely do. Spencer Sanders, the quarterback for Oklahoma State, threw four picks in what was a 21-16 upset win for Baylor last year for the Big Twelve Championship. Baylor goes into this game three and one, only loss came against BYU in Provo, Utah. They were dogs in that game and lost outright. And Oklahoma State goes into the game three and zero. You know Blake Shapin, Spencer Sanders, two really good quarterbacks. I, I I like what Oklahoma State has done so far this year. I think Baylor with Dave Aranda has a defense that is rambunctious and going to be getting after this Oklahoma State quarterback just like they did last year with Spencer Sanders. I, I like a get right game for Oklahoma State though. This this there's revenge written all over this, right? I, I think I think they you know they they were going to go into this looking for blood. Yeah. Last year, the Big 12 championship game, Oklahoma State, if they won, they were in the college football playoff and they were stopped by about a foot at the goal line. Yes. A tackle right on the sideline. Right. Like you could see the ball passing by the pylon and just not quite getting there. Like one of the best endings to a college football championship game ever. And, but the reason was not just that one play. They threw four interceptions, no touchdowns, four interceptions. Kind of always been a problem for Spencer Sanders. Uh, 31 career interceptions. He only has one this year. And uh, watching... Baylor last week, they were able to force two picks uh, against Iowa State. Um, I I think they're still a team that could maybe get some turnovers against a guy like Spencer Sanders last week. Dave Aranda was getting fired up about all these turnovers. He smacked three of his assistants back to back to back on the butt. Really emphatic. Just like the power in these ass slaps. It like really sold me I'm on, on this defensive. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I also think another problem for Oklahoma State is um, they, their their pass defense has really fallen off. They lost their defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, to Ohio State. The other OSU, the, the one we mean when we say OSU most of the time, um, they lost a lot of their defensive backfield last year. PFF had Oklahoma State as a team ranked sixth in coverage and this year 110th they are 125th in EPA allowed per pass on defense. Uh, anytime, anytime I see the number 120 in one of these stats, I need to bring it up. What I'm betting, I look at the 120s because that's like, oh my God, this team is very, very, very bad at something. And Blake Shapin, he's consistent. He moves the ball. I, I'm thinking Baylor uh, covers the one and a half. I think they win. And I, 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 I'm a little bit surprised the, the line... 
Oklahoma State hasn't really showed anything. They've had an incredibly weak schedule, and they gave yeah. up 44 points to Central Michigan. The, the, I think it's w- which defense is going to show up, right? I mean, they, they, they've had some success against you know weak competition, but they look at the 44 points against Central Michigan, and that's, that's tough. You know, a lot, a lot of them were late. A lot of them were late, mm-hmm. but it's still a number. It, it, that, those still, players were still there. When you, when you look at EPA per play, and when expected points added, something that we talk about a lot on, on this feed and in this show, it, it does you know, account for garbage time. And it accounts for garbage time. It accounts for all these things when it's kind of factoring in how successful defense and offenses are in efficiency. And both Baylor and Oklahoma State, though defense play tough and there's a lot of ass slaps going around, don't rank inside the top half of the FBS in, in EPA per play allowed on defense. Offensively, Baylor and Shapin have had the better offense. I think that's a reason they're favored here at one and a half, whereas Oklahoma State has been more inconsistent and Spencer Sanders has struggled with ball security. The only reason I want to back Oklahoma State is because I'm absolutely obsessed with every Mike Gundy press conference. I think every single one is a highlight reel waiting to happen, and I'm hoping I get to that that point where oh, you know he comes out of this with a win. But I, I think I'm riding with you. I'm riding Baylor minus one and a half. I don't think I touched the total. Yeah, it's we, we you you liked Baylor against BYU, right? You're you're a fan of yeah. this team. They they didn't yes. pull it out, but like they they they're solid in the ways that you want a team to be solid and. I don't trust Spencer Sanders and I don't trust the Oklahoma State passing defense. Simple as that. And they're on the road, right? And they're on the road against Baylor. And they're now, on I the think road that, at Baylor. I think that reason backing this Oklahoma State team, I think would be public and narrative driven and that's a revenge game for Mike Gundy. It's a revenge game for this Oklahoma State team that had an opportunity at going to the college football playoff last year, but obviously fumbled the bag. Here, Baylor, favored by one and a half. I think that line is in a good place and I'm backing the Baylor Bears. This has been fantastic, Roger. I can't wait to next week. I can't wait to continue to bet college football. I have lost my hat over the last few weeks. I'm barely treading water above my unit, uh, above the, the flat line of like 0.05 units, but we're bouncing back this week. I'm looking for bets. I'm always looking for bets in the college football landscape. If you guys have something, make sure to reach out. Big shout out to our producer, Stefan Anderson, for producing both parts of this podcast. Make sure to tune in every single Thursday. Ringer Gambling Show with Raheem, Roger, and myself. Finally got the opportunity to talk to Dave Hill, who's on his way to season two of the Ringer podcast, Gamblers, where he sits down with professional gamblers in some crazy sports. Most recent episodes are with Rufus Peabody, who is a master NFL sports better, also has some stuff coming out on backgammon, poker, gin rummy, a lot of fun stuff. Let's get to Dave Hill. Now doing the show is Dave Hill. He's someone that I've had the opportunity to meet finally, but have been appreciative of his work for quite some time. I think Gamblers is one of my favorite, I wouldn't say like narrative podcasts. I mean, it's kind of a narrative podcast, but it is relatively continuous because you're talking about like the active state of gambling. It's a really, really good podcast on the Ringers Podcast Network. But Dave, great to have you join the show. Well, thanks a lot for having me. Can we, before we get into season two, and I know you just recently had Rufus Peabody on there, and if you are a better, specifically around the NFL, you know the name. He's a guy that moves markets there. I think I know he's also like a really successful golf better. So if you bet golf, Rufus Peabody is probably your guy there as well. But going back to season one, you have done some really, really interesting content around gambling on not necessarily niche sports, but like interesting sports in that where like people are not betting on the NFL, not betting on the NBA. I know there's one about a guy who's the god of gin rummy, Michael Sal, uh, punk rock horse player, Emily Gullickson. What are some of your favorite episodes from season one before we get into season two and look at Rufus, Rufus Peabody? Yeah, I mean, I think that my, you know, my hope for this show is that I can expand the way that people think about gambling. Because I think that most folks think that, think when they think of gambling, they think of casino gambling mm-hmm. or they think of sports betting or both. And so, yeah, I think that the fact that 
people gamble on everything, right? That they, that that there are so many different types of professional gamblers, and there's so many types of things that that people can play, games that people can play, and they therefore play for money, right? Um, that's what's interesting to me. I'm at heart a games player. I'm interested in games, and so gambling is sort of an out, you know, uh, it's sort of a um, an outgrowth of that interest. In the first season, I had a lot. You know, we got hit by COVID, right? We started the first season with real high hopes and a long sort of list of episodes we were going to do. And then COVID hit us right as we were in the beginning of producing that first season. And we had to really rethink the whole season. And you can hear that when you listen to it, how the later episodes are all basically conversations. Um, And so there's a lot of stuff on my wish list in season one that didn't even make it into the season two, where I really wanted to kind of go out in left field with some of the things that people gamble on. But we were still able to make a pretty decent season, even given that we got hit with a global pandemic in the middle of it. And um, we did an episode on, um, we did it in addition to the episode with Michael Saul, who is definitely one of the greatest gin rummy players ever. And that's also a game that I care a lot about. I used to play with my dad. It's a game that I think is a lot of fun and has a really colorful history. Um, I love gin rummy. I play all the time. I'm a big gin rummy fan. Now, I don't think I'm good at it, but I do enjoy the game. It's one of the, I think it's one of the greatest card games ever. Yeah, it's a wonder. It's it's such a fun game, and it has such it has such a perfect balance in it of luck and skill to make it so that people who are bad at the game can hang in, continue to win, you know, win here and there, and feel like they're you know able to hang in there and stay with you. But I did an episode in the first season on pool, and this guy Scott Frost, uh, who I profiled. He, he's I sort of make the case for him as like the last of the great American pool hustlers, right? Because he was a big time pool hustler right at the onset of the internet age. And in the episode, mm-hmm. we kind of make the case that the internet killed off the world of the old school kind of crossroading um, pool hustler because the internet allowed people in other cities to know more information about who was playing pool in other cities well, what people could do. The sort of information traveled fast and it kind of killed his ability to scare up money games by sort of barnstorming the United States. And I thought that was a fun story because that's another that's another kind of through line through this whole show too, uh, in season one and season two, about the old school and the new and how much this age we're living in now has fundamentally changed the world of gambling and the way that we think about gambling. But more importantly, the subculture of gamblers and what it used to be like versus what it's like now. One of my you know kind of questions off of that is you know you're obviously going from a poker player to gin rummy to you know pool all these different sports. I know like that you've had some conversations like backgammon has been something else that you've worked with as well. Like, are there commonalities between these like elite gamblers? Right? Are there commonalities beyond just like obviously them winning? And uh, have you picked anything up on that? Like seeing like just like how their brains work or how their minds work or like how they chase edges? And there's probably like delineation between that old school you speak to and that new school and like the information age and all that stuff. But I'm interested to know, like, is there a commonality between Michael Sal and, and Gianna Fiore who does blackjack? Like, wh- where are those commonalities? Yeah, there's definitely commonalities. You know, you mentioned backgammon. Our season finale this season is going to be about backgammon. And I had to kind of sell the idea of an episode on backgammon because I think that a lot of folks today think of backgammon as the board game that's on the other side of the checkerboard, right? It's like yeah. it's yeah. like the, it's your grandparents' house and the shelf full of games. Like That's how people think about backgammon today. Nobody thinks about it as a gambling game, let alone an elite gambling game. But the fact of the matter is that the the most elite professional gamblers in the world are games players at hearts at heart mm-hmm. and and so they play multiple games right especially when i was you know when you go back to sort of like 
you know, 20 years ago before the internet age. Because I think one of the things that technology has done is it's allowed people to really become, to sort of train their brains like a computer and specialize in one game and one game only, and that's all they play, right? But I think there was a generation just before, even like my generation or whatever, that, you know, came up learning games, right? And learning all the games and kind of being good at games generally. So, mm-hmm. yeah, somebody Michael Saul is a backgammon player and he plays mm-hmm. big money. He's not just the best gin rummy player in the world. He plays big money backgammon games all over the world with wealthy people. I went to the World Championships, uh, backgammon World Championships for the show this year in Monte Carlo and... And everybody there was, you know, knew Michael. You know, they knew Michael Saul because he goes there often. And that's That's insane. Not only that, the person who I profiled for the Batgammon episode is was also a very skilled chess player and used to gamble a lot on chess. And he knew the man who I profiled for the chess episode in this season. One of the women that I interviewed for the chess episode, who is also a major chess player, she's also a tournament poker player, and she knows many of the poker players that I also interviewed for the show. So yeah, this is a fraternity, uh, you know, that spans across games. I think that if somebody is a, is an elite gambler, they're probably good. Maybe not it's not maybe not elite. Maybe they're not it's not their best game, but they're good at a lot of games, right? Mm-hmm. Golf, shooting pool, playing backgammon, playing chess, uh poker, but I think it extends even into games that they don't necessarily gamble on too. So I'd say that's the that's the thing that I think they have in common is a love of games and an ability to really, you know, um, analyze, break down, and process games in a way that makes where they can find an edge. And there's a lot of intelligence, obviously, that's overlapping. That's common with being good at anything, but also I think an interest competitively in games. And I think the third thing, and this probably gets like a good transition to Rufus, who is like a big gambler in the NFL, specifically, you know, Super Bowl props, but he's also betting weekly. It's just math. Like math and probabilities and memorization is just such a big part of like gaming strategy in a lot of card games, gaming strategy probably in in, in chess and backgammon, memorizing these different techniques and stuff like that. So I do think math comes into play as well. In your profile with Rufus, so you can go check this out on Spotify. It's a um, profile on Rufus Peabody, who's a very successful NFL better. How fun was that? Because I've heard you know other people who have had conversations with him and and have like worked with him has said he's pretty electric and also just fascinating to see kind of his process for you know betting uh, in the NFL. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. I spent a couple of weeks, almost two weeks up there. You know, I went out for when props came out the week before the Super Bowl, and then I went out for the Super Bowl weekend to sort of tag along with Rufus and his crew. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. I mean, the Super Bowl is a unique event. There's obviously, they were trying to bet $2 million. That involved a lot of legwork, a lot of people, a lot of money being moved around, which was very exciting. And I think one of the things Rufus says in the show is, overall, betting on the Super Bowl is a a small percentage of what he bets in a year. And Mm an even smaller percentage of his win over the years is expected to come from the Super Bowl. But it's almost like a tradition for him and all of his friends and partners to really go hog wild on the Super Bowl, it's like a tradition. It's something, it's almost like a, it's just a different type of game they're playing. It's fun. It's like the Pro Bowl or something. You know what I mean? Like they're mm-hmm. going to go out there and make the most of it and have the most fun they can with with that one game because it's the one time that they get to bet all these crazy props. It's the one thing where everybody in the world is kind of watching it. So it has this sort of own energy to it. And so Rufus a number of times was like, I don't know why I'm so kind of nuts about the Super Bowl, but I am. And mm-hmm. and other gamblers who I met during that week told me the same thing. They were all like, yeah, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. But we all kind of, you know, 
we all get very excited about this game. Well, it's, it does make sense to us. We all get excited about the Super Bowl, but gamblers, I think, tend to think think of themselves as such rash, sort of hyper-rational people that they kind of like, anytime they feel any real emotion or, or sort of lean into any kind of romantic ideal, they catch themselves and pull themselves back. And I'm always there when I'm profiling people in the show, trying to pull them in that direction and encourage them. It's like, keep going, keep going. You know what I mean? Because I feel like it's okay to embrace that side of your humanity and that side of your person. You don't have to be a robot. And I think Rufus is somebody more so than other people I profile in the show who was all too willing to lean into it and was willing to say, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't make logical sense, but it's fun. And there's nothing wrong with just having a lot of fun. That's, that's phenomenal. I, I definitely agree with you in that, you know, you talked to a lot of like professional bettors who are you know, not like, avoiding certain bets because there aren't like clear cut edges or like models aren't siding with that. You know, there are not, you know, there are obviously edges in betting Super Bowl props, but there's so much handle on Super Bowl props that like a lot of those lines are beat to efficiency. And there's also a lot of randomness that's layered into Gatorade color and, and national anthem length and all that stuff. But there is a lot of, you know, wh- wh- how it started was obviously people people having fun, not necessarily people making millions of dollars in, in sports betting. Well, I'm really excited to listen to the, you know, the rest of the show. It, it, give me more details on, you know, how many episodes are coming out in the second season, when they're coming out and, and where else we can see your work. Well, we have seven episodes in the second season and there were seven episodes in the first season that are already up too, that people can listen to. And I think that w- when you're, Listening to this part two of the Rufus episode will have already come out because um, okay. that's a two-part episode. There was just too much there <laughs> with all the time I spent with Rufus to squeeze into one episode, so we stretched that out into two two parts, and I think it's a really fun one. Um, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff this season. We're going to you know travel the world and around the United States and meet some really uh, fascinating people. I think that's the key to, to this show is that it's really a, it's a show about really interesting people and characters. You know, it's like a documentary series about some very unusual and fascinating characters. I'm excited to follow along. It was great to meet you, Dave. And the other thing we have to get on the books is maybe getting together and playing some cards, whether it's gin rummy or my go-to cards game is actually hearts. I am Mm -hmm. a big, big hearts player, but obviously you need four to play. So it's tough to find (laughs) a group before that only to get down on some hearts. But Dave, really appreciate it. Also, shout out to Bobby Wagner for producing the segment here. Until next time, Dave, I'm excited to continue to listen. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good luck, everybody. 